If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. We want to pick up our study in verse 13. This morning we're looking at spiritual warfare, and, and this is part 2. Now we begin in verses 10, 11, and 12, and we really laid a foundation. And so I want you to go back up to that uh, section. We're going to read it real quick, and then we're going to begin to look at this uh, position of putting on uh, the full armor of God. And so Paul comes to this place in verse 10, and the word finally, we really drew from it. Because Paul has looked at six chapters now as he's written this epistle. As he's dealing with issues there uh, at Ephesus. And then Paul comes to this conclusion now. Finally, brethren, concerning uh, the spiritual warfare. And he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, Paul knew and understood a spiritual warfare. And so he's conveying this message uh, to the church at Ephesus. But for the last uh, 2,000 years or 1,950 years now, we've had this challenge also. If you've been a Christian long enough, spiritual warfare is part of the regime. You will go through spiritual warfare. And so Paul last week spoke of that recognition of our enemy. Recognize your enemy. And this week he's going to say, put on this full armor of God. But he begins here, and he says, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Come to this conclusion, church. I can't do it. You can't do it. I'm weak. You're weak. And we're talking about our spirituality. I need the power of God in my life. I need the power of his Holy Spirit to lead me and to guide me into all truth because I am going to face a spiritual warfare. And so Paul, even though uh, he was a man of God, and Paul understood the things of God, he taught his word. And, and Paul comes to this conclusion, I need the power of his might. And I think so many times we try to do it in, in my conclusion, my way. I can do this. I can get through this. Whatever it might be. And, and honestly, if you've been a Christian long enough, we need Christ and we need the power of his Holy Spirit. And so he goes into verse 11. And then he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And we're going to speak about that this morning, putting on this whole armor of God. And he's going to describe each piece of the equipment uh, that a military soldier in the time of Rome wore. But the importance of our spiritual armor, the things that God has for us uh, to put on. And the whole purpose is because the wiles and the schemes of the devil, he's out there with uh, a bag of tricks, basically. Now, if you look at the word wiles that we uh, studied last week, it is the Greek word methodia. Obviously, where we get our English word method. And so... Satan, in the demonic realm, there's various methods that the devil uses in my life and in your life. He uses these uh, wiles or these schemes. Now, if you look at the word uh, wiles, it basically, in, in the Greek text, it is the tricks of the enemy. And I like this word. It's the deception of the enemy. If you've ever studied Matthew chapter 24, it's a very prophetic chapter. Jesus is preparing us for the things that are going to happen in the last days. And in his warning of be aware of these things in the last days, four times he, he warns deception, 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 deception. The enemy is going to deceive you. And if you don't know his word, you will be deceived. And so we know in the last days that the Antichrist will come into his office. And we know that the Jews right now are looking for their Messiah. And basically in the world, the world is looking for a man that would bring forth answers. Politically. Financially. 
And then religiously, we've got religions going every which way. And so when this man comes into office, he will have all the answers and he will tickle the ears of the people. And they will be deceived if they don't know their word. And so then Paul comes to this conclusion now in verse 12 that we followed up in the last two weeks. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Paul says, know your enemy. Now, right now in our society, in our United States of America, there's a lot of military. Maybe some of you this morning are are in the military. And so you, in the military, you're trained, you're taught, and you are given tactics. And we are told, know your enemy. Now, Paul's speaking about a spiritual enemy. You see, if I see an enemy coming towards me, and I can see him, and he can see me, well, I take evasive action. I mean, I'm looking for a weapon, or I'm looking for somewhere to hide, or I can even run. I can retreat if need be. But in spiritual warfare, you cannot see it. Paul says we fight not against flesh and blood, something tangible, but it's a spiritual battle, church. It's a spiritual warfare. And if you've been a Christian long enough, it's on a daily basis. In the Greek, he says that Satan uses various ranks of demonic warfare upon the Christian. If you go back to Revelation chapter 12, we see the great dragon. And when he's kicked out of heaven, his tail swoops a third of the angels. These are called the the fallen angels. This is the demonic realm. And so, so many times the enemy uh, begins to attack even uh, a husband and wife a situation. The enemy begins to attack concerning your children. The children will come against the parents and the parents will come against the children. And there's this spiritual battle. Don't raise your hands, but on Sunday mornings, a lot of you go through spiritual warfare. I mean, you get up in the morning, you're getting ready to go to church, and the wife says says something, or the husband says something, and before you know it, they're locking horns. And then they say, well, why go to church now? I'm mad. Well, the enemy won. The enemy won. You see, we need to run to God, not run from God. And so Paul's going to describe this position now. Put on the full armor of God. Now, you have to understand something before we get into verse 13. Paul is in a Roman prison. He's in a house arrest, but he's still locked down. And they would have Roman guards 24-7 on this man. And many times he was shackled uh, to a Roman uh, soldier. And so can you imagine Paul constantly uh, saw this Roman soldier? Look at the front of your bulletin and we kind of describe it. And you see this Roman soldier. We've seen enough movies concerning uh, the Roman army, and so we have a good understanding. They go back to history, and they understand what, you know, they wore. And so Paul looks at the, the physical equipment that an actual Roman soldier would use, and Paul sat there, and he goes, hey, we can use that. And he turns it around. And he says, put on uh, the full armor of God. Christian. And so know your enemy. I'll tell you what, the the kids can get into it and then you go, what's going on? It's the enemy sometimes. The wife starts to bicker or the husband starts to bicker. What's going on? We were doing so good yesterday. The enemy sets in. Your neighbor, you wave to them every day. They're good neighbors and, and all of a sudden something happens. The enemy gets in. The pastor says something, the assistant pastor says something, and then you take it wrong, and then, oh, they're against me now. And the enemy gets in. We have to recognize the enemy. Notice now verse 13. And he says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand uh, in the day of evil. And all you have to do is ask yourself a question. Here we are in 2007. Are we living in days of evil? And the answer is is yes. Look around us. And if we don't think so, then you're badly mistaken. 
There are days of evil. And having done all, Paul says to stand. And one thing we're going to learn here, the Christian is not to retreat. The Christian is not to run, but to face the enemy and to face the problems. And that's why we study God's word. The Roman soldier would never leave for battle without his complete uniform. Paul would describe it uh, for us completely. But what about us, the army of God? We leave the house without prayer? It should not be. Do we leave the house without his word? It should not be. Do we have, uh, do we leave the house without preparing the heart for what's in store for the rest of the day? You see, be careful that we just, you know, get in tune with God on Sunday mornings. The Bible says I'm a Christian uh, 24-7. And so you should have a devotional time in the morning. It doesn't have to be a lot. Let's take a 15-minute span. You get up in the morning, give God 15 minutes of Scripture, and break that in half if you want. Give Him seven and a half minutes of Scripture, seven and a half minutes of prayer. I know we have that time. When I got saved, I used to have to start work at 6 o'clock in the morning. And basically, I got up at 5, and all I did was crank it up a half hour. I got up a half hour earlier. And God gave me the strength. And you begin with your devotional. Now, if you struggle with a devotional, again, if you want to do a 15-minute period, it's so easy to go to the psalm of the day. Look at your calendar. Today's psalm would be the 14th psalm. Or go to the proverb of the day. Today's proverb would be the 14th proverb. Imagine if you did the proverb of the day every day for a month. You've gone through uh, the book of wisdom now. And then if you're able to go uh, through the rest of the year, how many times would you read uh, the book of Proverbs? And God speaks to you. And I would encourage you, get a New Living Translation or get an NIV or a New American Standard. Something that's not a King James and sometimes the words can trip you up. And then take some time to pray. And I know what happens most of the time. You're scheduling yourself 10, 15, 20 minutes more that day, but then you get up late. And so then you're running to work. Hey, don't turn on the radio or the CD player, the cassette player. Take some time right there. Pray. Lord, prepare my heart. Lord, I'm going to work. Prepare my wife's heart. Lord, my children, they're going to school. Lord, protect them. Have your hand of grace upon them. Because we're in a spiritual battle. The Holy Spirit here in verse 13 is already giving Paul insight. We need this because the days are evil. Now listen to the Greek word, uh, the days are evil. Is the, We're living in days of wickedness. And here's another translation. Vine's Dictionary says we're living in days of wickedness, but also days of harm. The enemy wants to harm you. And so we pray, Lord, put a hedge of protection upon my children. Lord, put a hedge of protection upon my wife. The wife prays for the husband and for the children. All our girls are growing up, but when they were going to school, we took them to school, and uh, I'd shut the radio off about three, four blocks before uh, school. And sometimes we'd pick up one of their friends, and they'd ride with us. And they knew it too. We shut the radio off and I'd pray with them. Okay, girls, it's time to pray. And say, Lord, protect them. Have your hand of grace upon them. It's important. Listen, if you're not praying for your children, uh, the teachers at school are not praying for them. It's your responsibility. Moms and dads, we need to understand that we are in a battle. There is a battle for your life. There is a battle for your kids' lives. Listen, if you've come to Christ. Uh, Satan, Lucifer, the devil himself, he's lost the customer. And he's going to do everything in his power to draw you back. We mentioned the word deception. He'll deceive you. Now notice verse 14. And he uses this word stand. We don't retreat. Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. That's the first piece of equipment that Paul sees. Having put on uh, the breastplate. This is the, the second piece of the equipment. The breastplate of righteousness. 
So this first weapon of warfare for the soldier of Christ is truth. Notice, having girded yourself or, or your waist with truth. It was a belt that was that went around the waist. Usually a leather belt that it held your uniform intact so when you're fighting and running and such, you wouldn't trip up. And so Paul turns this thing around. This first weapon of warfare for the, for the soldier of Christ is the Word of God. The Word of God is truth. Now the reason I, I bring that forth so clearly is because in John chapter 8, verse 44, it's, Jesus says Satan is the father of lies. You see, the Bible is truth. God is truth. But Satan comes with lies, wiles and schemes, deceit. Church, he's a liar from the very beginning. On your own, go back to Genesis chapter 3 uh, this afternoon, this evening, and study. Satan blatantly comes to Eve, and he gives her half truth, and he gives her half lies. And see, that's how the enemy operates. A half truth, a half lie. And so it's nothing new. Uh, he began back in Genesis chapter 3. He's still lying today. Oh, you're just doing a little bit of sin. Don't worry about it. Or you're just committing this or you're just committing that. Uh, don't worry about it. God sees your heart. The enemy is a liar. So many young people today that call themselves Christian are committing fornication or adultery and they think it's okay. The Bible says that no fornicator is going to enter the kingdom of God. How many Christians that drink just a little bit too much? Well, you know, I need it for stress. I'm tired. I mean, I've used all the excuses, so you don't have anything new on me. The Bible says no drunkard is going to enter the kingdom of God. You see, when I re read those verses, it floored me years ago. Because I fell into that category. And so maybe some of you don't do those, you know, sins of fornication, adultery, or, or sins of, of drunkenness, but maybe you're a liar. In the Bible, I read, says, no liar will enter the kingdom of God. You see, God has checks and balances for us. And so we have to gird our waist, put on this belt of truth. And then he goes to the second piece of the equipment, and he says, having put on uh, the breastplate of righteousness. So you have this belt of truth now. And so now he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, if you were to look at a Roman soldier, basically they had this breastplate. It was made of a chain of mail, and it was used by the Roman soldiers. It was held up by four straps. And basically the chest area. And the whole purpose was to protect any kind of a blow that would come uh, to the heart. And so Jesus, uh, through the Holy Spirit here, gives Paul insight. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. You see, that first casualty that we can see in warfare is going to be truth. And then after uh, he deteriorates the truth, then he'll go after the vital parts. He'll go after your heart. He went after Eve's heart, and he went after Adam's heart. And they did eat of the forbidden fruit. Gird your waist to place a good, strong, that leather belt that we spoke about. But now, this breastplate. And it's a breastplate of righteousness. You're a Christian now. You see, righteousness is best translated. Before I came to Christ, I did not have righteousness. And so basically, I was wrong living for God. I come to God now. I'm born again of the Holy Spirit. I have righteousness. He gives me righteousness. Now I am right living for God. That's the best translation. Put on this breastplate of righteousness. Guard the heart because the enemy wants to search and destroy that heart. And Jeremiah tells us that the heart is deceitful and is desperately wicked above all things. I'll tell you what, you expose your heart to the enemy and he'll go in there. And right now the biggest sin, especially for pastors, is the internet. And they're so easily accessible to pornography. 
and they're falling trap across the United States of America. And you have to withstand the enemy. Now he goes to the third piece of the armor. In verse 15, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, if you've been, if you've done enough hiking, walking, running, if you've played any kind of, you know, sports, there's proper shoes to wear. Don't tell me you're going to run a 10K, a 10 mile run, and you say, I don't need no shoes. I'm going to go barefooted. I'll give you a couple miles. Maybe you're going to be bleeding. It's just not going to work. Well, I'm going to play football today and, you know, full gear, but uh, my feet are kind of tired. I'm not going to wear cleats today. I'm going to put on some flip-flops. I don't think so. It's just not going to work. And so Paul says here, the importance of the soldier's equipment to put on good shoes. Now, the Roman soldier had a nice sandal that was purposely made for him, his size. Ladies, you understand that. You know you wear an eight, but you're trying to get into a six. It ain't going to work. Well, the soldier wants to, you know, that thing to fit perfect. Then it had little cleats in the bottom for traction. Then it was strapped all the way up to the calf. And I mean, they protected your feet. Uh, wisdom from an old warrior. I heard this said, if, if you take care of your feet, they will take care of you. That is so true. Ask anybody in the military. And if they don't have socks to exchange, they're washing those old socks. And man, they're putting powder and ointment and such. You, you got to take care of your feet. My friends that were in, in Vietnam, jungle rot would come immediately if you don't take care of that. And so you have to take care of these things. Paul says, let your feet now, you're a Christian, be prepared with the gospel of his peace. He says that where you tread, the peace of God will be with you. Let the good news of God's peace be with you on a daily basis. On a daily basis. Now, listen to this verse. This verse is very popular. You've been a Christian for a time. You, you've heard it. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 52, verse 7, let me just read it to you. Isaiah writes, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring glad tidings, excuse me, of good things, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Your God reigns. How beautiful. Listen. Upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings the good news. Somebody shared the gospel with you. Somebody shared the gospel with me. How beautiful are the feet of those that take the gospel uh, to those that are hurting. And so this scripture just fits so beautifully. Because we're in a spiritual battle, church. Remember the, uh, the battle and the days of evil. Huh. Uh, look at verse 16 now. We go to the fourth piece of equipment. Above all, Paul says, uh, taking the shield of faith. I like that. Uh, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. The shield of faith. Now again, Paul's looking at the Roman soldier. But then he looks at the Christian. We can use that. The shield of faith. You know, throughout my uh, pastorate, evidently uh, somebody will come up eventually. Pastor, I, I want more faith. Pastor, I need more faith. Pastor, pray for me that God gives me faith. Listen to this verse. In Romans 10, 17, Paul says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is why we study God's word. Get into God's word and he will build your faith. As we study the Old Testament saints and we see some of the errors that they made. And God says, don't do what they've done. But obey me, obey my word. And so God's strengthening and building my faith, building your faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now we've all seen you know, Roman movies and such, and we see the Roman soldier, but basically there were two types of uh, shields that they used. The first one was a small shield, usually a circular, but it was able just for one hand, you would put, there would be two straps and then you would put it in and it was for, you know, blocking. It was for hand-to-hand -hand combat. And so you would have that shield. 
But when you went out as a group, there was another shield, and usually they didn't like that one because it was very, very big. You had to carry it around, about four feet. And it was at least the width of the man. But boy, that shield came in handy when uh, you were being attacked by arrows. And that's what he's speaking about here. And so it was big enough, and yet you could crouch down behind it, and then you would make your front line. And you want to protect the arrows from your feet. And then you've seen it. <laughs> they get down, and then the other guys put the one up on top, and they kind of connect together. If you're looking down, it looks like a tortoise. looks like a nice shell. Because here comes the, the arrows and here comes the spears. And even then, there would always be one or two or maybe more that would find its niche and find a hole. Somebody just didn't lock it. And this is what Paul is speaking about here. You see, faith is our spiritual weapon to ward off the fiery darts of the enemy that Satan and his demons bring forth. When he attacks, I can stand firm on God-given faith. But I want you to look at these fiery darts. When you go to a Greek study Bible, or you go to a Greek translation such as Vines, what I use, it says to extinguish, listen to the translation, these uh, fiery darts, to extinguish the flaming missiles the enemy uh, throws your way. Here's Paul writing, 1950 years ago. He's talking about flaming missiles. We understand that uh, today. But he's talking about spiritual warfare. Back again in verse 12, it tells us that uh, he has various ranks of, of angels that are under his command. And he dispenses them your way. And they begin to launch those fiery missiles. Now let me share this with you. The closer you draw to God, the more you pray, the more you witness, the more you study God's word. Be prepared. The enemy's going to attack you. If you have a pastor friend, talk to them. Pastors can fill volumes of books because uh, spiritual warfare, it's there. And the enemy wants to search and destroy. The enemy wants to take you out of commission. And so he brings things of deception your way. And imagine, we've seen it too many times now. The pastor's destroyed his reputation, his character. He's fallen into some kind of a, a sin nature. What does it do to the body of Christ? There's always going to be those that are going to leave. If that's a church, I could care less anymore. And that's why you always have to fix your eyes, listen, on Jesus. Because man will always fail you. Be careful with the flaming missiles. They're out there, church. And so he says here, uh, take the shield of faith so you can quench those fiery darts. Look at the seventh piece or the fifth piece of equipment in verse 17 and, and take the helmet of salvation. And then the sixth piece of the equipment and, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so the, the Roman soldier had a, uh, you know, usually it was a leather uh, helmet that went on. And, you know, there's certain straps and such, and then they put pieces of metal. Uh, you will see it sometimes, you know, protecting that uh, area of the nose, protecting the area of the forehead. And so, again, we need the helmet for protection. I mean, you'd be crazy to go out there and play, you know, full contact football without your helmet. I'm watching a game one day, it's a professional game, and there's a nasty pileup. And all of a sudden, this thing squirts out. And the first thing I thought, it's the football. No. Next thing I thought, a lot of times you see them lose their shoe. No. It was a helmet. I go, oh, his head came off. Well, thank God it was just the helmet. And then you see the guy. He's looking desperately for the helmet. He wants to put it back on. Because he needs that protection. And so God has given us, listen, the helmet of salvation. God has given us the power of eternal life uh, through our salvation. And the enemy wants to trip you up. Years ago when I was young in the ministry, I was in prison ministry in Southern California. And so when we came here, you know, the struggles and the pains, and especially the first five years, everybody tells you those first five years, you're going to go through it. 
And I've gone through various trials, various testings, and uh, there's days you wake up, and then there's trials and tribulations that are going on, things in the ministry and such, and you swear that you're going to die. And I had gone through one of those phases, and I called up my good friend that I was in prison ministry with, uh, a pastor from Calvary Chapel there uh, in West Covina, and now he was in Wichita, Kansas. And I called up Don, a good friend of mine. I said, Don, man, I'm hurting. He says, what's going on? He says, I, I, th I think the enemy wants to kill me. He starts laughing. See, he'd been in the ministry a lot longer than I was. And I go, why are you laughing? I'm telling you, the enemy wants to kill me. He says, Bob, it, why would Satan allow you to come all the way uh, 850 miles to New Mexico? If he wanted to kill you, he would have killed you back at West Covina. And so he prayed with me. Now, I can look back today in hindsight, and I, you know, I go, man, it wasn't that serious, but I was convinced. He wants to attack me, nobody else. But I have the helmet of salvation. The Roman soldier was ne would never dream of going to battle without the helmet or, or to ward off the enemy. And what about now? The sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. Now, as we spoke about the two uh, shields that uh, they usually used, uh, there was two swords. Basically, the first one was a dagger, about 8, 10, 10 inches long, and it was for close hand-to-hand -hand combat. And so you would have that uh, small shield, and then you would be fighting with a knife on this side, this little dagger. But then you also had this big, uh, about a four-foot or th three-foot, a sword. And it was for wielding. And when the enemy came, and back and forth, you know, and so imagine the first swords that were made out of brass. They wouldn't last the battle because brass gives. And we know in the Orient they developed a sword made out of steel. And, and they learned how to, you know, heat the steel and then pound the steel and then fold the steel and then pound it and heat it. And it's strong. And I mean, God forbid you went out there and, and you're doing battle with one guy that has a sword like you and he's hitting your sword, you're hitting his sword and all of a sudden he, he knocks your sword in half. <laughs> it's time to run because he's got the bigger sword. And so listen, take the helmet of salvation and the, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. How much do we need the Word of God? The, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Here's our strongest weapon, if any, uh, of our warfare for the Christian, and that is the Word of God, the sword. I remember the first time when I was a young Christian, and uh, when I met a couple of guys, we were going to have some coffee, and uh, the first thing they said, hey, Bob, did you bring your sword? And I'm going, my sword? What's, what do you mean, man? I left the gang mentality. I don't need my sword. And he says, it's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. And so you learn quickly. You need the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I want you to study something when you get home tonight. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is getting ready to begin his public ministry. And the Bible says he goes out into the wilderness and he, and he prays and he fasts. And here comes the enemy. Satan himself. And he literally uh, attacks Jesus and he tempts him three times. The Bible says that Jesus responds each time. It is written. It is written. It is written. I think sometimes we try to take the battle on ourselves. I can do it. I'm strong enough. No, you're weak. I'm weak. I need the Word of God. I need the power of his might. The enemy answers and he flees to the word of God. The enemy answers and he flees to the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And so Jesus says to Lucifer when he tempted him there in the wilderness in Matthew 4, it is written. Now, if you've been a Christian long enough, you should know this verse. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, For the word of God is living, and it's powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and it is this discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. 
The Word of God is alive, church. And so many times people think that the Bible is old. The Old Testament is old. You know, that word is old-fashioned. And so they respond, that's for the Israelites. And we come into the New Testament and they'll say, well, that was for Peter, Paul, James, and John. That was for the apostolic age. That was for uh, the New Testament, the beginning there. But not for us. We've arrived. But again, it says here in Hebrews 4.12 that the Word of God is alive and it's powerful and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. A two-edged sword, it cuts as it goes in and it cuts as it comes out. Now, don't raise your hand, but how many times you come and listen to the Word of God and the Word cuts? Or you're reading, doing your devotion, and the Word cuts. I'm getting the message ready, and I go, wow, I can't wait to share this to the congregation. Then I hear a small, still voice. Bob, that's for you. Can I share it? Yeah, but you better accept it first. You see, God's Word is powerful, and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. But you see, I think I'm tough. And I've been a Christian long enough. And the enemy says, you don't have to believe all that. You can take care of yourself. No, you can't. Well, then somebody tells you, well, you know, Jesus is a crutch. Hey, I need that crutch. Be careful when people try to deceive you. The Word of God, the Scripture says, is the same yesterday, uh, today, and forever. Man, I need God's Word. And I'm sorry, but a lot of churches are not teaching God's Word. A sermonette's not going to get it for me. A scripture is not going to get it for me. I need to be taught the Word of God. This is why we're going through the book of Ephesians. You're coming on Wednesday nights. This is why we're going through the Old Testament. We're in the book of Judges. We just finished the book of Joshua. And so Paul tells the Corinthians that these things in the Old Testament were written for our example, that we do not do the things that they've done. And so we learn from our mistakes. And so Paul has been speaking about uh, this spiritual warfare. And then he's been looking at this Roman soldier and he's turned it around and says, hey, we can use that. And he's given us six pieces of equipment. But then he comes to verse 18. And as you get all these pieces of equipment, here's your next step. It's called prayer. It's called prayer. The place of the believer in Jesus Christ, how important it is to pray. Yes, put on the full armor of God. And, and you know, we see all the, the various pieces of equipment. But we need to take time to pray. Let me give you a couple of names here. Nehemiah was known as a man of prayer. If you study the book of Nehemiah 11 times that are recorded, specific prayers. Daniel was a man of God that prayed. Pastor Jeff just taught that last week. And yet he got into the lion's den. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego uh, were thrown into the fiery furnace, but they were men of prayer. Elijah prayed, and the drought ended after three and a half years. The rains came. Samson, he made a lot of mistakes as one of the judges of Israel, but he prayed at the conclusion, and God renewed his strength. Ladies, remember this? Hannah. Hannah prayed because she was without child. She agonized in prayer. And God gave her a man-child. Remember Eli the priest? He saw Hannah praying in the temple. And she was agonizing so much. She, he thought she was drunk. Man, she was touching the Lord. She was touching the hem of the Lord's garment in heaven. And the Bible says that she was given a man-child. And that child came forth once. She relinquished that child. Imagine that, lady. She'd been praying for a child. God gives her this child. And then she has to give it back. Because God wanted him as... This is a prophet, Samuel. But she agonized in prayer. We don't have mention of Mary Magdalene in prayer in the New Testament, but I have to believe she was a woman of prayer. 
She was a woman of prayer. There were seven demons cast out of this woman. And I believe this woman learned how to pray. So it's important to, to have this place of prayer. Let me give you these three verses. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 3, prayer and fasting for the people. Sometimes prayer is not enough. You have to fast also. And then in Acts chapter 14, verse 23, prayer and fasting to appoint elders there in the church. And I love this one. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 21, Jesus instructs prayer and fasting for his disciples that were trying to cast out a demon. It couldn't happen. And some of these need prayer and fasting. Now, if you're serious about fasting, go to Isaiah chapter 58 and study the place of fasting. And I tell you what, as soon as you declare a fast and you don't tell nobody, you say, Lord, I'm going to fast for this situation. Oh, the enemy's so quick. Years back, we took some leadership and we went over here to Gary Springs and we were going to camp out for two days. We we're going to spend time in prayer and fasting. Everything was good until somebody camped uh, upwind of us and they started cooking bacon. You ever been in a fast and then smell bacon? It tears you up. I mean, guys were looking at other guys' legs and going, hmm. Now, nobody ate nobody's leg, please. But the enemy's there. Oh, that last day of fasting was, whew, it was hard. And you're not even concentrating on prayer. You're praying and you see a rack of ribs. <laughs> the enemy knows exactly how to push your button. And so we're taught the place of prayer and fasting. Look at verse 18. This is our seventh place of the weapon, and it's a spiritual thing, obviously. Paul says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance, underline that, and supplication for all the saints. Now, it has been said, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest Christian, the weakest saint upon his knees. How true. How do we pray? Listen to what Paul says here. Paul says, praying always. He tells the church at Thessalonica at the conclusion of the first letter, pray without ceasing. It's having a, a frame of, of prayer. It's having a consciousness of prayer. Hey, you can pray when you're driving, man. Now, don't be closing your eyes, but you can pray when you're driving. You know, sometimes I wonder what people are saying next to me at the stoplight, and, and I'm over here praying, man, waiting for the light to turn green. I don't care. I'm praying. It's time to pray. I had a pastor friend that uh, he thought if he prayed on the roof of his house that God was going to hear him better. And his neighbors thought he was nuts. He goes, Lord! Hear my prayers. I don't care what position you take, but pray. Paul says, praying always with all supplication. That speaks of requests. How through the power of God's Spirit. Now listen to this. The Bible says there are times I don't know how to pray. And that's true. Fear sets in. Frustration sets in. Anxiety sets in. I've been there where you're kind of wringing your hands and you don't know how to pray. And you're just so frustrated with everything that's going around you. And in a sense, you, you begin to groan. You begin to murmur inside and you wonder if God even understands. The Bible instructs one to groan and the Holy Spirit will interpret for me, for you. Let me read this passage. In Romans chapter 8, verse 26, Paul writes and he says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, our infirmities, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought to pray, but the Holy Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Sometimes I wrote this down in the, in the situation I'm in. All I can do is groan. Lord, I'm hurting inside. I don't know how to pray about this situation, Lord. God understands that groan. God understands this groan. Back before we left from Southern California uh, to New Mexico, uh, we had Bible studies at our house and such, and a lot of my cousins and 
family and friends would come. And, and uh, we had a little cousin at that time. He's a grown man now. Uh, but he was about 10, 12 years old, Henry. And uh, I'd ask some, some of the people in the Bible study to pray. And they're not, uh, they can't pray all the time. They, they get intimidated. But we tried to, it was a home Bible study. Come on, just speak to God. I remember one day, I said, Henry, you want to pray? And then he goes, um, okay. And he goes in and he puts his hands like this. And here was Henry. I wish I could make his facial expressions. He's never said nothing. He just went, and, and I, when I read that, I go, hey, God understood what Henry was praying. And that's the key. Sometimes we just don't know what to pray. Now, he speaks about perseverance, persistence in prayer. Sometimes, church, we give up. We give up. I've talked to people that have prayed for 20 plus years for their loved one to come to saving grace. I told this story to some of you years back. I don't know if you might remember it, but there was a lady that had been praying for her husband for 28 years back at Calvary Chapel in West Covina. 28 years. And her husband finally comes to the Lord. Oh, she was so excited. You know that God gave that man six more months and then God took him home. He got sick and he died but he went home to be with the Lord. You know, at that point, you could have easily said, why aren't you mad? I mean, you, pay, you pray 28 years and God gives you six months. It's not fair. Hey, you were praying for his salvation. Ladies, be careful. Sometimes we pray for our, the husbands to get saved just because you're tired of coming to church by yourself. I challenge you to pray, Lord, save them and use them. No, you want him saved so he can sit next to you. Save him and use him, Lord, for your glory, for your kingdom. But prayer of persistence. I want you to study Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 8. There's a beautiful story there about the persistent friend. It was already midnight. They had already closed the doors. They already locked down. And in the Orient, you slept in the, in the middle with everybody together to keep warm. And so him and his family were all already asleep. And then he hears a knock at the door. And he says, we're already asleep. He says, who is it? It's your friend. I need, I need some bread. He says, come tomorrow. No, no, no. I need the bread. I have some travelers. They came in and I don't have nothing to feed them. And he kept knocking until finally he gets up. That's a persistent friend. He got up to give him the bread. And sometimes we quit. The Bible says to, to knock, to seek, to ask. And in the Greek, it says to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. I think sometimes we give up too early. And then he continues to, so he's saying, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Verse 19, and then Paul says, as for me, church at Ephesus, pray for me. He says that utter utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul's saying, please pray for me that I may have utterance. Now, uh, the Greek word for utterance is logos. It's the word of God. The Bible says that Jesus was the logos. He was the word that was made, uh, you know, incarnate. He was made flesh. Pray for me that I might uh, share the logos, the word of God, that I might share who Christ is. And so he goes on, uh, that utterance, the word logos, the word of God, to share with others concerning the mystery, uh, the hidden things of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the mystery that has been revealed now for the last 2,000 years, and that is that Jesus Christ is God, and that there is only salvation through him. That's John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is only eternal life uh, through Christ. Not through Mohammed, not through Buddha, not through Confucius. Not through Brigham Young. Not through the Watchtower Society. Salvation is only through Christ. Very important that we see this. Now remember this, we've shared it many times. A mystery in Scripture is, pre is a previously hidden truth, now divinely revealed to men by the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember the first time somebody shared with you, you need to be born again? You said, what? Somebody said you need to be saved. Saved from what? 
When somebody shared the rapture of the church is coming one day, are you ready? The rapture, what are you talking about? They were hidden truths. They were mysteries. And now they've been revealed to you so beautifully. And then Paul says, this is why I want you to pray for me. Look at verse 20. For which I am an ambassador in chains. Speaking of being in prison in Rome, he says that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. The word ambassador, Paul's saying, I'm a representative of Christ. I'm a messenger of Christ. And he says, even while in these chains. I love prison ministry. And a lot of times, uh, they call it jailhouse salvation. And I'm convinced if that's what it takes for you to get saved, then that God would put you in prison. God would put you in jail. That you would turn to him. It's important to see that. So here's Paul in a Roman prison. Prison in Rome there. That I may speak with boldness. The Greek is saying that I may preach with confidence. As I ought to speak of the word is preach again. In Acts chapter 28 verse 30 and 31. Let me just read it to you. Paul's in prison in Rome. It's called a house arrest. In verse 30 it says. And Paul dwelt two whole years. He says, in his own rented house, and he received all who came to him. He had the opportunity to witness and to teach. And then it says, then Paul dwelt two whole years. Verse 31 says, preaching the kingdom of God, teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, not forbidding him. And he was open to preach the gospel. Now remember, Paul has Roman soldiers sometimes shackled to him. There would be a Roman soldier, listen, for two years, 24-7. At least four at a time. At least one, maybe two would have been shackled to him. And the Bible says at the conclusion of the book of Romans, and Paul says, greet the house, the Christians in Rome. Many came to saving grace. Many came to saving grace. He's got that soldier shackled to him. Hey, he's, you got the helmet of salvation on. What? You got the sword of the Spirit. What are you talking about? Then Paul gets to share the gospel with them. Many of them came to know Christ. Now we're going to come to the conclusion. Paul's been speaking about putting on this full armor of God. We fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers of darkness of this world. And then he says, now pray as you put on this full armor of God. Pray. And then he's signing off the letter now. The Greek culture, the greeting sometimes was the conclusion. Uh, notice this. But that you may, verse 21, but that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing. Tychicus, he says, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will make all things known to you whom I have sent to you for this very purpose that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Paul's in prison. He's writing epistles. And he uses his brother, Tychicus, basically. And you find him in Acts chapter 20, Colossians chapter 4, Titus chapter 3. Paul trusted this brother. He says, I'm sending him to you with the epistle, with the letter. He's going to share about my affairs. And then he's going to bring back, I'm sure, to Paul, your affairs. And so that they would know how to pray for Paul. What a beautiful picture here. And that's why many times we ask you, pray for us, the pastors here. Pray for us that we might be given the utterance, as Paul say. Pray for us because we go through trials and, and tribulations as we pray for you. And so, so beautiful here. He called him a minister of, of the Lord. <laughs> this guy was uh, just a vital piece of the uh, ministry, basically. Look at the conclusion now. Verses 23 and 24. He says, Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this expression here. Peace to you with the common form of salutation in the East. Peace. We know that they would use the word shalom. Peace be unto you. But then he says, Peace unto you and love with faith. I like that. 
Love united with faith, not only desiring that they might have faith, but the faith which worked by love, through love. And this is agape love. And he comes to the conclusion. And Paul never escaped without sharing the word grace. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. So be it. So he's saying from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father and the Son are regarded as equal. Paul saw that. Paul taught that. And Paul says they are the author. God is the author of peace and love and grace. Unmerited favor. I deserve judgment. You deserve judgment. But God gives us his grace. Now, spiritual warfare, church, it's all around us. Recognize it. Moms, dad, recognize it with your children. Husbands, wives, recognize it in your relationship. Recognize the spiritual warfare. Yesterday, we were here for the men's conference that was being piped into us, a webcast from, you know, uh, from Costa Mesa. We got the permission. We got all the numbers and such, and we just could not hook up. And we missed the first three teachings. And we were trying desperately. Uh, Pastor Jeff and Chris were just, you know, beating their head, trying to, let's get it together. We're praying. The enemy wants to search and destroy. We're trying to get this webcast right there from Anaheim, uh, you know, the convention center. And eventually it came about. But the enemy wants to search and destroy. Let me share this quick story. 28 years ago, when Mary and I came to Saving Grace, there was a friend of mine that was praying for us and, and ministering to us and such. And he told me, Bob, when you get the opportunity, go to Calvary Chapel because you'll fit there. I know you'll fit there. He was going to a vineyard church, and he knew I wouldn't fit there. I didn't know anything about this. So my cousin, Vivian, her husband, Michael, they started inviting us to Calvary Chapel, West Covina. And we kept saying no, kept saying no. And then finally, there was a tremendous spiritual battle. And then Michael calls up and says, hey, it's Saturday night, man. You're not doing nothing tomorrow, no. He says, we'll pick you up for church. And I took a look at Mary, and Mary looks at me. I said, what do we do? I don't know. Now, those of us, I grew up strong Catholic. I was convinced if I walked into a Protestant church, I'm going to hell. That's what my mom told me. And so imagine the battle. He calls back a second time and he says, Bob, I'll pick you up in the morning. I go, okay, pick us up. And so we went to bed that night. And in the morning, spiritual warfare. <laughs> Michael and Vivian are getting ready. Ladies, you'll understand this. She's dressed for church. She can't find her shoes. Vivian comes. I didn't know this till later. Those of you that understand the Mexican language, uh, Vivian came dressed to church, but she had her chanclas on. I never saw the chanclas. But she was convinced we got to take them to church. I go, you took us to church in your chanclas, I told her later. How embarrassing. Those are basically the shoes you ladies wear, and then you squish the back, and they're all, you know, they're dirty. You don't use them for nothing else but kick around. That's what she took to church. And you know what? I don't think anybody saw her feet that day because it, it was a hilarious thing in our family. You took Bob and Mary and your chocolates. Come on, man. But you see, the enemy will use anything to stop you. And Michael said, no, we're going. And she says, you're right, we're going. And we got saved that day. Recognize your enemy, church. And we're in a spiritual battle. Put on the full armor of God. Let's all stand, we'll end in a word of prayer. Father, uh, thank you so much for your goodness, your grace, your love, your mercy, your long-suffering, your kindness, your goodness, your grace that is so overwhelming, Lord. And Father, thank you for insight on the battles of spiritual warfare. And Father, right now, maybe somebody's here this morning and they haven't made that commitment to Christ. You've been invited. You've come several times. I don't know. But I don't want you to leave here this morning without Christ. I can't force you into the kingdom, but uh, if you know in your heart you've never received him, today is the day of your salvation. 
with every eye closed, every head bowed. If that's you this morning, you've never received Christ. You'd like to receive him this morning, right there where you're at. I'll say a simple prayer of faith with you. If that's you, would you raise your hand and I'll pray for you. Anybody here this morning that needs to come to saving grace, I will be glad to pray with you. Don't let the enemy rip you off. Praise the Lord. Then if all of us are Christian, let's pray. I know there's a lot of you that are going through a spiritual warfare. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I thank you, Lord, that everybody uh, is saved this morning. There's times when people come and they have not made a commitment to Christ. But, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us into all truth, Lord. And, Father, right now, we pray for those that are going through spiritual battles. Help them, Lord. Encourage them, Lord. Let them look at these pieces of, uh, of equipment for the soldier of Christ to put them on. And to believe and to trust in you by faith, Lord. And Father, cause us to pray even that much more for our children. Husbands to pray for their wives. And wives to pray for the husband. And Father, teach us that power of prayer that we have. And the power of the Holy Spirit. That works in and through our lives, Lord. Bless your beautiful saints this morning. And Lord, we pray for the offerings now. You've given to us, we give back a portion. This is another form of our worship, Lord. Receive our gifts, Lord. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. And we all agree by saying amen.